Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. All right, good morning, everybody. What a blessing it is to be able to gather once again on this parking lot uh, to celebrate God's faithfulness. And I'd like to ask you now to join me. Uh, We're going to depart from our text in Philippians, although not from our theme entirely. And uh, we want to turn our eyes right now with the same theme in mind to Romans chapter 5 in verses 1 through 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And I come to you today in, uh, with this passage. I come to you today uh, with, uh, I don't want to say trepidation, but there's a, a different type of reverence and heaviness of heart when I bring before you the title of today's message, which is to rejoice in suffering to rejoice in suffering. It's not uh, something we want to talk about as Christians. After all, as we talked about last week, suffering is kind of one of those words that we have stolen from the text and from the pamphlets that we hand out to people to become believers, and we put it in fine print at the bottom. We don't want to talk about suffering because In a sense, we come to Jesus to escape a type of suffering. I wrote in our FBC Messenger earlier uh, this week on this passage, on Romans 5, 1 through 5. One of the things that I mentioned in that article, and if you get that via email, I want to encourage you to, to read the Messenger just for the information that is there so that you can keep updated with all the things that are going on at our church, but also... Uh, a lot of times those articles kind of set up the following Sunday. And so really in this past article, uh, one of the things I'm, I mentioned is talking about rejoicing at a newborn baby. Don't you, don't you love, isn't there a great celebration when you hold that, that brand new baby in your arms with those little bitty fingers and those little bitty, the little bitty button noses and those little bitty toes. And there's great celebration. There's great rejoicing at the new life that has been brought into the world. But there's no rejoicing, of course, in the pain of childbirth. There's, no, there's always rejoicing in the product and never rejoicing in the process and in the pain. And yet the scripture teaches us believers that we are to rejoice in our suffering. That we are to rejoice in the midst of those difficulties and sufferings in life. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. It's easy to know, but it's hard to live it out and to act it out. And yet we as believers are commanded to rejoice in our sufferings. In my article in this past messenger, I referenced this text and I talk about the need for us to rejoice in the midst of our sufferings, rejoice in our sufferings. 
And I, I make this comment. Uh, it, it says, and, and when trying times come again, and they will come, let us greet them as an old friend. With a warm embrace and tear-filled eyes, let us boldly, and I would say add to that joyfully now, say, I'm glad you're here. Teach me more of his love. Now, I want you to know today that as I bring to you this passage, I have not perfected this. I'm learning this. I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of learning how to rejoice in the midst of suffering in life. So let's look today at our passage, Romans chapter 5, and verses 1 through 5, and I want to teach us today why we can, why we should rejoice in our sufferings. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, plural, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, today we understand all too well the difficulty of suffering. We don't need any help understanding that. What we ask is that by your spirit today, you would illuminate the truth and this glorious truth in our life, not of the pain of suffering, but the glory of suffering, the joy of suffering in your service. And so I pray that you would teach that to our hearts today and apply it to our lives so that we can use it and continue to be a witness for you in this lost and dying world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his commentary on the book of Romans, in this passage, Donald Gray Barnhouse introduces this section of Scripture with a discussion on biblical joy. He takes from Scripture uh, analogies uh, for joy. Uh, he takes the analogies of wine and oil. And he says that throughout Scripture, oil and wine are used as biblical symbols of joy. For example, uh, in the Psalms, you may read of someone who's so joyful their face is shining. And the thought there is that someone has taken the oil and they have rubbed it on their face and they are, they are shining off the light that God has poured uh, out upon them. Uh, oil is placed cosmetically on their faces so as to make them shi shine, representing their joy. Wine is used throughout the scripture as an expression of joy and God's abundance. The fruit of the vine is spoken of making the heart happy. But Barnhouse states in his commentary that there are three steps by which every human being may have joy. The first is pretty simple. We understand. The first is pretty simple, that uh, in order to have joy, you must have fruit. That is, you must have olives and grapes. You must be bearing fruit in your life. We know that 
that any fruit in our lives is brought about by the Lord Jesus. Lost people uh, who say that they have joy, they have no concept of joy. Joy can only be found in those who've been given fruit from God. Uh, the, so the first step, he says, in having joy is that we must have fruit. That is that God produces in us repentance. He rep- produces in us a confession of faith, confessing him as Lord, and then comes the new birth, and, and there's where our joy really begins. He says the second step after having fruit, after being reborn, is to not concentrate on the fruit. Very often, as believers, we may get concentrated on the fruit. We want this fruit in our life. We want it to be made in our life. The the second part of having real joy is not concentrating on the fruit, or not concentrating on the vine, but concentrating on the vine dresser, setting our eyes on Jesus, and not putting our eyes on on the things that we've done and the good works that God has produced through us. The third and final step, Barnhouse says, of joy is that anyone who wants biblical joy must take that fruit and crush it. If you, if you want to get wine, you got to crush those grapes. If you want to get oil, you got to crush those olives. And so today as we look at rejoicing in suffering, I want you to see that we are rejoicing in our crushing. We are rejoicing in our suffering. From our text today, I want you to observe three reasons why we can rejoice in our suffering. And if you see me with my hand up here like this, I'm trying to provide a windshield so you can hear me and not hear the wind. Okay? Number one, we can rejoice in suffering because of what God has done for us. Look with me in verses one through two. Now, this is not where I want to spend the bulk of our time together today. But when you're going through suffering in your life, you can rejoice because of what has already occurred in your life. If you are a born-again believer, you can rejoice in suffering because of what God has done for you, what he's done for us. Verses 1 through 2, therefore, Paul says, based upon the very fact that that salvation does not come from our good works as he has demonstrated in Romans chapter 4 but has always come through faith. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. My friends, when you're going through trials, when you're being crushed in life, whether that be issues in your health, whether that be issues in your relationships, whether that be issues of, of, of just trying to get through these certain things that are going on in your life, whatever adversity you may be going through, you can look at it and you can rejoice knowing what God has already accomplished for you. Verses 1 through 2 here, we learn of all these wonderful things that God has done for us. We have been justified by faith. Now, you and I, for those of us who are believers here today, we know that there's nothing good in us. Give me a honk, okay? Give me an amen. You know there's nothing good in us. 
We have sinned, we have all of mankind, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What we rightfully deserve by our own works, by our own merits, what we deserve is death. People may say, well, he's a good person at heart. No, he is not. No, she is not. No, we are not. We are not good people at heart. We are sinners. And by our sin, we deserve death and we deserve hell. But when the Bible says that we have been justified, what the, what the Bible is saying here is that through the life and the death of Jesus on the cross and by his resurrection, we have been made right legally in his eyes. Even though he is a holy God and he must punish our sin, he has cast all of the punishment of our sin upon the shoulders of Jesus. And while Jesus has embraced our the penalty for our sins, he has clothed us in the righteousness that he deserves. We have been justified. That is, we have been made just as if we have never sinned in the eyes of God by the work of Jesus on the cross. So when you're going through struggles in life, you can rejoice knowing that regardless of where you may be sitting with mankind, if you've been made right with God, nothing else really matters. Amen? We have been justified by faith. We have Peace with God. If you have peace with God, what does it matter if you don't have peace with all the, the rest of mankind? We are to strive for peace with mankind. We're to live in a godly and a, in a quiet manner, striving for peace with those who are around us. That is absolutely true. But when you have struggles in life, you can hold on to this wonderful truth that we have been given peace with God through Jesus Christ. No enmity any longer he says in verse 2 that we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we've been given this right relationship with God, knowing, knowing that God has provided salvation for us, that he loves us, that he's made us right with him. Well, when you go through any struggle, well, then, of course, you can look back and you can rejoice. Lord, you've got me. You've got this. But we see in verses 3 through 4, the meat of this passage, what I want us to see today, because all of us can, in some part, recognize in the midst of suffering what God has already accomplished for us. But what I want to see today in verses 3 four, through 4 is that we can rejoice in suffering, not just because of what God has done for us, but because of what God is doing in us. Look in verse 3. Not only that, Paul saying, not only do we rejoice in the hope of glory, but we rejoice in our sufferings, plural. Paul understood sufferings. You and I understand suffering, but we can look at the life of Paul and we can recognize that he understood sufferings on a level that we don't perhaps fully understand. A man who's been beaten, who's been stoned, who's been left for dead, who's been shipwrecked, who's been imprisoned, who's been falsely accused, this is a man who understands suffering, and he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that word rejoice, I don't want to sell that short, because you may be tempted to see the word rejoice and just think celebrate or be happy. 
But this word rejoice does not just mean the happy attitude or celebration, but the word used for joy and that we, that we interpret to be rejoice here today means to glory and to take pride in, to boast. So here's this idea that Paul is saying, not only am I happy in my sufferings, not only am I rejoicing, but I'm glorying in my sufferings. Why? Why, Paul? Why are you rejoicing in these things? Why are you taking glory and pride and, and in a sense, boasting in these things? The first thing he says is because God is developing endurance in me. God is developing endurance in us. When we go through struggles and suffering in this life, we can rejoice because of what God is doing in us. And the first thing that the Scripture says that God is doing us in those sufferings is he's developing endurance, endurance, perseverance, patience. That's what he says here, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now, why is that important? Uh, everyone around here understands, in some sense, endurance. Maybe you're in high school and you're just trying to get to your senior year. If I can just graduate and get past all of this stuff that's going on, I just want to endure. Or perhaps you're here today and you have... Your relationships have gone sour. Maybe it's a relationship with a family member, uh, a parent, a, a child, a spouse, and you say, if I can just endure this. Maybe you've gotten a bad diagnosis in the last week or the last couple months, and you may say, if I can just endure this medicine, endure these treatments, endure this surgery, endure this therapy, then I can make it to the other side. You understand the importance of endurance. So if you understand the importance of physical endurance, how much more so of spiritual endurance? In Luke chapter 8, in verse 15, Jesus is telling his disciples the parable of the sower who is sowing. You know, he goes out and he throws out these seeds, and some of them fall on bad ground. Most of them fall, uh, and they don't produce fruit. And you, we read this and we say, well, we don't want to be those people. We want to be the seed that produces good fruit, right? What Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And that exact same word is used in Romans 5 today, endurance. Now, why can we rejoice in our suffering? Because we know that God is producing in us endurance, that very fruit that verifies that we are believers, that verifies when the whole world could say, how do you know that you are saved? When the enemy says, how do you know that you are really a believer? That suffering produces endurance. So in the midst of that suffering, you embrace it like an old friend and with weeping and sorrow and joy all mixed together, you cling to it because it's producing in you endurance, the ability to last, the, the ability to outlast and to continue and persist in the face of trial. That's what God is producing in you through suffering. Now, wouldn't it be great 
if God saved us and immediately we went to heaven. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? I mean, there's a lot of suffering in this world. And none of us want to endure that suffering. But that's just not the way that God works. God has left us here for a purpose. And our struggling and our strife, we tearfully em embrace because it produces endurance. You can, you can write down, if you're taking notes today, Colossians chapter 1 in verses 9 through 12, where the scripture teaches us that we're to be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. You want to endure because you don't want to be one of those who have made a shipwreck of your faith. Almost everyone here today has heard of Billy Graham, right? Everyone here has heard of the name of Billy Graham. His legacy continues uh, on this earth as being an evangelist. He really came onto the scene in 1945. But would you know that there were two other evangelists, very prominent men who were coming onto the scene in 1945 who were much more prominent than Billy Graham. An evangelist by the name of Chuck Templeton. He was, he was uh, named the, the Babe Ruth of evangelism, filled uh, uh, auditoriums, shared the gospel. Uh, if anyone in 1945 were placing uh, their bet down on which evangelist would be the most prominent, which evangelist would be the most popular and would have the most fruit, they would say uh, Chuck Templeton would have been that person. Or perhaps Braun Clifford, an, uh, another man who was, they said, one of the greatest preachers. As a matter of fact, he would go and preach at a, at a Christian college and the president of, the, of a certain college would turn off all the bells uh, for that day for class so that the preacher could continue to preach without interruption. He filled auditoriums as well. If you were to put your money on anybody, it would not have been Billy Graham. And yet we'd have no idea who Chuck Templeton and Bron Clifford are to today. That's because it, by the year 1950, Chuck Templeton had left the ministry and was doing TV and radio and had disavowed the Christian faith and said he no longer believed in Jesus. Or Bron Clifford, who shortly after his ministry began in 1945, lost his family, left his family, became an alcoholic, developed cirrhosis of the liver, and died in a rundown motel outside of Amarillo, Texas. John Hagee would say of him that he died unwept, unhonored, and unsung. Do we want that to be said of our lives? Don't we want to be said of our lives that we endured, that we made it through the struggle? And the scripture here teaches us we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because it produces endurance. Secondly, in the midst of suffering, we can rejoice and hold on to our Lord Jesus in the midst of that suffering because God is not only developing in us endurance, but the scripture says that endurance produces character. Character is a very good uh, translation of this Greek word. However, in, uh, in a day and age where we're constantly having to clarify terms, let me say that when I say character, I mean proof and 
testedness, the quality of being proved and tested. The Bible says that we can rejoice in our sufferings because endurance, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces proof and testedness. Character is, is that showing of endurance, that we've made it through the trials, that we made it through the difficulties, and that our faith is genuine, that we weren't like those who had our house built on top of the sand, but who had our house built on top of the rock. And when the rains and the storms of this life come, our house is set on something solid, so we can rejoice in the midst of suffering because we know that God is providing our character, our proof, our testedness. That's why James says in James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet with trials of various kinds. Now, we, we, we like diversity in so many things, but not in trials. You know, Lord, if I have to have trials, let it be singular. Let it be one. Let it be trial, right? And let it be a minor trial, okay? But here, James says, count it all joy when you suffer various trials, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that God is producing in us character. Now, this endurance produces this character, and I, I kind of think of it like a sports team who, who has never made the playoffs before and they're going to play in the playoffs versus a team who's made it in the playoffs before, and they're going back into the playoffs. A team that's never been in the playoffs, and they go to play in the playoffs, there's certain things they're just not going to be prepared for. Yeah, they may, they may win, they may sweep, and they may, they may beat everybody out there, but someone who has been through that adversity, someone who's been through that circumstance knows how to better navigate those things. And so, my friends in life, when we go through suffering, it produces in us character, testedness. Again, a testing that we are who God has said that we are, that we are born again. Now, Paul continues in our passage today in Romans chapter 5 and verse 4. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Which brings me to my third point. So my first point was we can rejoice in our suffering because of what God has done for us. The second point is that we can rejoice in suffering. We can embrace it because of what God is doing in us. Now, finally, I want you to see that we can rejoice in suffering because of what God has in store for us. Look in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has whom he has given to us. Here's this word, hope. We use the word very often. I hope that this might happen. I hope that, that these things happen in my life. Uh, but hope in the scripture is not so much a wish as a certainty that a desire will be fulfilled. Tim Keller many years ago said, uh, said this of our suffering and of hope. 
He said, suffering removes from us rival sources of confidence and hope, other places we might look to for our sense that deep down we are okay, that, for, that our future will be okay. Suffering drives us to the one place where we can find real hope, real confidence and certainty, and that is God. We can rejoice in the midst of our suffering because it produces in us hope. It removes those other things that we put our hope in, whether it's our finances, whether it be our relationships or whatever else in our life that we put our hope and our joy in. Suffering robs us of those things and causes us to put our hope into something that doesn't put us to shame. Here we can rejoice in suffering because of what God has in store for us, a real and a living hope. It's a hope that doesn't put to shame, the scripture just now says, that God has given us of his spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, the scripture says, but we have this treasure, this glorious gospel, this salvation that's been given to us, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. He goes on to say in verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's hope that, that God has given us. It's hope that does not disappoint. There's some things you put your hope in in life you're going to be disappointed in. Right? You, you put your hope uh, in uh, a certain sports team and if you're like me, the smack talk is always on the front end. As a Razorback fan, your smack talk almost always has to be on the front end, right? I got some amen, some omies, sweet 16. Okay, there we go. But you know what? There's a lot of things we put our hope in that are not worthy of us putting our hope in, and they put us to shame. And yet the Scripture says here that this hope does not disappoint. Why does it not disappoint? The Scripture says that it does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. All of that eternal weight of love we experience in that hope. Now, let me ask you a question, and I'm, I'm wrapping up, okay? You hold on with me. I'm wrapping up. Let me ask you a question. When would you say love is really felt? Is love really felt just during the good times? Is that when love is really felt? The honeymoons of life. Is that when love is felt? Or is, or is love really felt in that doctor's room when your spouse is sitting next to you and you've received that diagnosis. Is love really felt when everything's going good and you're holding hands and everybody's smiling? Or when someone's hand comes up on your back and says, it's going to be all right. We're going to make it through this. When is love really, really felt? When do you really experience love? You don't I mean, listen, the love is the same, of course, 
in, in each of those moments if it's authentic, if it's genuine. But that love is really felt when? During the periods of being crushed, right? And what the scripture is saying here is that as we experience sufferings in our life, we know that that suffering is going to produce endurance, that endurance is going to produce character, that character is going to produce hope, and hope it does not disappoint because God's love has been spread abroad, has been shed and revealed into our lives. That is, through our suffering, we can get to see and experience God's love in a way that we can't do it without that. We get to embrace and hold on to God's love and experience it in a way that we had not experienced it prior. Now, does that mean that God loves us more during suffering than at other times? No. His eternal love has been poured out into us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We experience that love, but in the midst of suffering is when it is felt the most. And so to you, my friends, I say today, that when trials come, and they will come, I want you to go and meet that trial like an old friend. Oh, you can have those tears rolling down your eyes, and you can have that trembling in your heart. But you hold on to them because you know this, that through those struggles, you're going to be made more like Jesus. That through those struggles, your hope in the things of this world are going to fade away. And through those struggles, you're going to learn more about the love and joy of Jesus. And so for that reason, don't just embrace the newborn. Embrace the pain, knowing that they're temporary, they're light. And listen, I've not been through what you've been through. My goodness, on this parking lot, for those who are listening online, there are those who've gone through suffering I can't begin to imagine. God's caused us each to walk different paths, and there's some of your suffering I sure hope that my family never has to suffer through, and I'm sure you would wish the same for me. But as we go through suffering, and God has it designed for each of us in this life, embrace it with joy, because you know the end product is greater than the suffering that you're going through. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you that in your grace and in your wisdom, in this fallen world, you have allowed suffering. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to pour out your blessings upon us and that in the midst of our sufferings, you would cause us to rejoice in you and to put our hope and our joy in you. Lord, bless us as we leave this place today. Thank you for your faithfulness as we remember your faithfulness during COVID. Father, I thank you for how you've taken care of us. We rejoice at all the great things that you've done uh, post that time. But Father, we rejoice even in the midst of our sufferings and we thank you that we can do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.